Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, and today we're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's right, Marvel Studios has had a 10-plus year run with 20-plus films that's all coming to a head with Avengers Endgame coming out in just a couple of weeks. I've been a huge Marvel fan, specifically Spider-Man, for most of my life, and you know, when I learned back in 2008 that Iron Man was going to start this run of films that all connect together, it was just insane. And it's a crazy concept to think about, but it's had such a successful run for so long, and it shows no real sign of slowing down, and Marvel hasn't really had any type of a blunder or a misstep yet. So I thought it'd be a fun chat to have three friends of mine who are also fellow filmmakers, Jason Robbins and Wally Phelps, who co-wrote Monsters Anonymous, and Steve Wise, who has been on the show several times. He is the writer and director of Servi. And we talk about growing up, loving the Marvel properties, how we felt about the initial plans for this shared cinema universe, uh, some of our favorite films in it, uh, favorite casting choices, and what we think will happen in Avengers Endgame. This was a blast to do. Um, I love having fun chats like this about film, and hopefully you guys enjoy it as well. So without further ado, here is the Marvel Cinematic Universe chat with Jason, Wally, and Steve. So this week, I'm sitting here with my three very special guests, all returning guests to the Derek Diamond Experience, and we are here to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We do have Endgame coming up. Uh, well, next week, which is kind of crazy to think about because it seems like yesterday that Infinity War just came out. So uh, to introduce everyone, first off, I'm joined with one of the creators of Monsters Anonymous, as well as my co-host on the Nerd Cave Retro podcast, Mr. Jason Robbins. How are you, sir? Hello, hello. I'm doing excellent. It feels like it's been almost a full 24 hours since we did a show together. Yeah, t- 23 hours to be exact. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Also joining me is the other creator of Monsters Anonymous, Mr. Wally Phelps. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today, sir? Awesome. Awesome. And finally, the writer and director of Servi, and as someone who's probably very tired of me asking him to come on my podcast, Mr. Steve <laughs> Wise. How are you? Hey, Derek. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. So as I said, we are here to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is now in its 11th year. And it seems like yesterday that the first Iron Man film just came out. And I think it's safe to say that all four of us, you know, grew up loving, you know, the Marvel, various Marvel and DC properties. But I wanted to get your thoughts on, because I was doing some research about the actual foundation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what did you guys, what was your initial thoughts? And uh, we'll start with you, Jason. Uh, when you, when we saw the first Iron Man and the, you know, what's now known as the famous Marvel post-credit scenes. Yeah. And it was revealed that there was going to be the Avenger initiative. What were your thoughts on that? Oh, my first thought was that it was a dream come true. I mean, this is something that we've been wanting to see on the big screen for as long as I can remember. I mean, I used to collect Avengers comics when I was a kid back in the 80s. And, 
you know, I remember in the early 90s when they were talking about, uh, you know, the James Cameron was supposed to be doing a Spider-Man movie and that was exciting, but that never happened. And, you know, all the kind of bad Marvel movies we had to go through back in the late 80s and 90s. I don't know if anybody remembers like the the original Punisher movie with like Dolph Lundgren and, and stuff like that. Oh, I remember. Oh, those movies <laughs> bad. <laughs> but um, but just to know you know, at the end of Iron Man, like it, when Iron Man came out, it was, you know, Iron Man was was not a an A-list uh, Marvel character. And, you know, nobody really gave Iron Man the time of day back when that movie came out. It was, you know, he was a B-tier character, you know, C-tier character. And John Favreau comes out with the first Iron Man movie and it, it was jaw-dropping. And, you know, it, it was like, OK, this is what we're doing now for superhero movies. And then at the end of the movie, of course, you get the stinger uh, about the Avengers initiative. And I still don't think that we could have prepared ourselves for what was about to happen. I mean, who knew that we were going to be, you know, 11 years in 20, what, 20, 22 movies at this point, And it's the biggest thing on the planet. Well, I remember um, forever ago, a friend of mine uh, named James and myself had a conversation where we basically were kind of spitballing what we would love to see from comic book movies. Now, this was in the early 2000s, I think. And he said, wouldn't it be great if we got an Avengers movie? And at that time, I said, in our lifetime, we will never see one because all of the rights to the different film, to, to the different characters, were all over the place. So when I, I, I remember kind of vividly, and this is t strange, the things you remember and the things you don't, but Marvel put out a half a billion dollar loan to essentially finance their movie division and uh they put up as collateral the rights to the characters they had left and essentially if iron man failed they would probably be no longer around <laughs> you know marvel in its entirety would be owned by merrill lynch and I remember how I thought they were stupid. <laughs> like, you know, you're going to, I mean, you don't have Spider-Man, you don't have the X-Men, you don't have uh, the, the rights to Blade, uh, even though that was kind of a smaller one. But at the time, he was even bigger than Iron Man was. And that was the first one they were going to go with. So it just boggled my mind and it still boggles my mind that from that first iron man movie that had everything stacked against it a 500 that million dollar loan uh the fact that they didn't have all of their a-list material the well, fact too that the studio didn't even want robert downey jr as exactly they, they were kind of like hey we would rather tom cruise please and John Favreau wouldn't have it. Instead, 
you know, and this is a guy that had very public uh, issues uh, with drugs and alcohol very, not, not very long before the movie started filming. So everything seemed to be going against them. But then Iron Man happened. And, and the way that they decided to end it was with the Avengers initiative. And, and it just, it just springboarded this whole thing that we just cannot stop talking about for the past 11 years. And I think it's, uh, so for me, it's been, it's been quite a journey from, I don't think this is going to work to what I am today, where it's like, well, in, in Marvel, I trust. You know, and I don't even think there's been a fever pitch of this magnitude for a movie that I can remember. I mean, I remember when the Tim Burton Batman came out, there was a, you know, there was a fever pitch for that, but I don't even know if that is up to the level of what it is for the Avengers right now. I mean, people are paying thousands of dollars for opening night tickets. I mean, it's crazy. Well, I wonder how much of that is accurate and how much is just people putting it on, uh, you know, online to try to sell for those amounts just to get the headlines. I mean, I did see one article that said, yeah, someone paid $5,000. Well, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't see anybody in this market <laughs> in, in the South. No, and not, was, not at all here. It's like 50 bucks yeah. <laughs> at most. Yeah. And even then, I mean, I don't know. I find it very interesting that people are, I mean, cause I love seeing movies on opening night. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, is it that important for people to, to get opening night tickets, I guess. So they, they don't see spoilers online or something. I don't, I don't know. It's just the uh, bragging rights to say, I saw it opening night. Yeah. But Steve, what, what were your thoughts when you initially heard about this whole Marvel cinematic universe? You know, what's honestly become now a movement. Well, you know, it's kind of funny that because I honestly thought that Iron Man was one of the major characters of Marvel because I remember just even from a kid seeing the old uh, 60s TV shows where, you know, with the the different characters, Thor and Iron Man and and Spider-Man, of course. Mm -hmm. And Iron Man was one of my favorite characters. And, you know, I kind of grew up with the comic books and... And then when the movie was announced, I was so thrilled. I was really excited about it. And then I kept hearing, oh, well, he's one of their lower tier characters. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, so, but I mean, compared to others like, you know, like Wolverine or Spider-Man, sure. like he was he really he really was at the time more of a, a B-list character. Sure. And, and I see that. It's just whole public. Just coming from me personally, because, you know, and now, of course, I was a huge Spider-Man fan. Spider-Man was, you know, my uh, Spider-Man and Batman were my two uh, two favorites. But um, but it still surprised me that I don't know, because just because I I clicked with with the Iron Man character, I guess. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, when I heard that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be cast. My immediate reaction was, yes, of course, that's perfect. And I mean, you just couldn't find a better, you know, more perfect casting than that. Mm-hmm. And he proved to, you know, to be uh, just that. Um, I really liked the movie. I thought it was really good. And um, and of course, seeing Nick Fury come out at the end was 
was fantastic. And knowing that they were planning on building this, you know, what became a universe um, really excited me. You know, it's a, it was a different way of storytelling where it, instead of just having direct sequels, you're having different movies that take place within the same continuity, but with different characters. And, and I think that, and even from right from the, the beginning, I felt like that was a very intelligent way to go. And, you know, yeah, if Iron Man failed, I mean, they, they had gotten um, the rights to the Incredible Hulk back from Universal, and, or sort of, and they were able to do, you know, uh, their own movie. And, um, you know, which I thought was okay. But, um, you know, but I think the movies were able to build upon each other and, and get better as they, they went along. Yeah, and I, I think going off of that, you know, I, it makes me think of when I saw Iron Man for the first time because I, I remember the Iron Man animated series, but mm-hmm. I never read the comic book. So I was kind of with Jason in the sense that I looked at Iron Man as kind of that that second tier of, you know, Marvel character. Like the major ones to me were like Spider-Man, Wolverine, and then... You know, the next year you had like your Iron Man and your I would even probably put the Hulk towards the top tier. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I actually had the post credit scene spoiled for me because <laughs> I didn't see it. I don't <clears throat> the theater that I went to I don't think did like an early premiere like they do now because you know like here now we have like when movies come out on Friday they have like a Thursday night at like a six or a seven showing well that wasn't around at the theater that I went to so I had to go late Friday night and I had it spoiled for me that Fury was I I didn't find out about the Avengers thing but I found out there was a post-credit scene with Nick Fury so I at Uh. least had the Avengers thing was still a surprise to me and it was just kind of mind-blowing because when you think about it, it's such a genius concept. You have all these characters that live in the same universe in the comic book, and they interact with each other, you know, not all the time, but semi-regularly. Why not do that with the films? And it's proven to be, you know, just a juggernaut that that shows no no signs of slowing down. And I think the dynamic will be different after Endgame comes out depending on what happens obviously but I think it will be a little bit different but I honestly don't see this momentum slowing down at all because the movies make so much money even the ones that aren't as highly reviewed as others they still make a lot of money people love to talk about them Mm -hmm. so I, I just see it continuing to go and I think something that's interesting from a filmmaking standpoint that I was actually thinking about earlier today is, you know, you have different directors who do these different films. Well, if you have, say, Thor show up in a Hulk film, that director did not cast Chris Hemsworth, so he's having to work with another actor that he had no part in casting, which I don't think is a bad thing. But it's also, as a director, I think you're adding in all these different dynamics because you're diving into what is a shared universe. Well, it's basically the um, television series way of doing things where mm-hmm. you have a series that, you know, each episode may be directed by a different director, but you have the creative force that's kind of above that. In, in the case of a, of a TV series, you have the executive producers and the showrunners, the writers, and 
they determine the direction of the series. And this is very much like that, where each movie is a different episode and they bring in different directors, but there's still kind of the same feel and same look to the films for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. I think James Gunn did something a little bit different. He, he I think he broke the mold. And and of course, uh, uh, Watiti, if I'm pronouncing his name right, <laughs> um, <laughs> with uh, Thor, Thor, Ragnarok, uh, Thor Ragnarok, um, that had a completely different feel that uh, we were used to. Yeah, but I mean, with those, with the cosmic movies, as I guess you would call them now, they do have that different visual language than anything that takes place on Earth. But then you got the ones that take place kind of in both areas. Like uh, Captain Marvel actually feels like both one of those cosmic movies and the um, Phase One. Uh, origin movie so it, it so you see kind of elements from both of those things so I, I I know exactly what you're saying because it does feel in universe for the most part very similar to how you know a director the person who directed the pilot of a of a television series gets paid for every episode afterwards, even if he hasn't directed it because he established the visual language of the films. So it's, it's a very, I I feel like they really should do that for John Favreau. (laughs) (laughs) Cause he really established that, uh, that feeling, the, the Marvel, (laughs) the Marvel way, as they used to call the art style. Yeah. Uh, back whenever Stan was trying to describe what, what the difference between Marvel and the distinguished competition was. John Favreau would be the, the John Buscema of the, (laughs) the, the cinematic universe. Exactly. And, And kind of going back to Iron Man a bit, you know, I, I knew of Robert Downey Jr.'s issues. I had never really seen anything with him as far as any of his acting and while you mentioned that, you know, that people were against him playing that role, but I think it would be tough to argue that he's the best casted character in that entire universe. Yeah, absolutely. Not only well, that, but the, Sam Jackson as Sergeant Fury is also a really inspired choice for that character because he's been there the entire time as well. And of course they had done the redesign in the uh, comic books based on Samuel Jackson. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it kind of made sense, you know, like, yeah. yes, you know, that, that was the other, uh, yes, of course they cast him, you know, kind of moment. Um, you know, other casting has been kind of surprising. Um, you know, when they, they brought in um, Edward Norton initially to play Bruce Banner, I thought that was kind of an odd choice since, you know, they had already, of course, in a different continuity, uh, Eric Bana played uh, Bruce Banner, and I always wondered, well, why did they just bring him back? You know, but yeah, I understand the legalities and where they just, you know, decided, no, no, we're not going to even reference that movie that, you know, that didn't take place in our universe. Um, but Norton was such a strong personality that it surprised me that they would even want to work with him you know, given his reputation of taking over films and, you know, taking control from the directors a lot of times. Yeah. 
which is kind of what he did with uh, the Incredible Hulk, from what I understand. And then we never saw him again. Well, that's because, yeah, they, he was too difficult to work with. You know, I, I can't think of an Edward Norton movie post-Incredible Hulk, now that I think about it. Yeah, you're right. I'm trying to think of one, but... I mean, I know he's made movies, but nothing that I remember. Well, and going off of that, I actually, I'm, I wasn't sure what to think of Mark Ruffalo when he came in for Avengers, but I actually really like him as Bruce Banner. I think he's got that right amount of quirkiness for that yeah, role. Yeah. So I'm, he's one, he's up there on my favorites you know, as far as, um, as casting members too. But I, I think yeah. the, the one person who surprised me the most as to how well they played that role was Dave Batista as Drax in Guardians yes. of the Galaxy. <laughs> oh, he's great. Because uh, I, I remember when he got cast, I'm like, Batista, the, the wrestler, is going to play a superhero? But then I saw the first movie, and I was like, he, that was perfect for him. And he was even better in the sequel. <laughs> and in, in, in Avengers, he was really funny. And, and he's yeah. hardly in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've gained a lot of respect for him as an actor. Um, also, he had a role in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, yep. which was really good. I still haven't seen that yet. That's the topic of another podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to come back and talk Blade Runner. But no, I mean uh, he he's been good in you know uh, other things that I've seen him in. I know he was in uh, Spectre, one of the Bond movies, and he was, he's yes. he's starting to to gain more notoriety as an actor <clears throat> which I, I think is really cool because just from interviews i've heard from him and following him you know even back when he was with the wwe he seems like you know a really genuine good guy and he wants to he wants to become a good actor which yeah. i i think is is highly um highly respectable well he's actually headlining a movie that's coming out so mm-hmm. yeah but what about uh, some of your guys' other favorite uh, casting choices? Are there any that stand out to you, just from you know, all the way back from the original Iron Man up until you know where we are now? Um, I always thought the casting of Chris Evans as uh, Captain America was kind of weird, since he was already in a superhero movie uh, as. Um, Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four movies. Which, which of course, that's become standard operating procedure now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there were other actors that I could have pictured in that role as Captain America, but he really took it and gave it that sense of, uh, you know, like strength and vulnerability. And like he really brought the character of Steve Rogers to life. Yeah, I never really cared for him. Well, I didn't really care for most of what was in those uh, Fantastic Four movies. But I just, I kind of like you, I did not see him in the role of Captain America until the movie came out. Yeah. And then, you know, looking back at it, it's like, yeah, that was inspired casting. <laughs> I mean, and that's the one thing that I've seen Marvel do consistently good is is their casting. I mean, and and like to to your point earlier, it's not like the director is making these decisions. These decisions are being made by committee in most parts, it sure. seems. So you know, you know, Paul Rudd as Ant Man is probably one of the most surprising, <laughs> but 
but perfect castings for me because he's so likable and he's he's the perfect foil on you know because there's all these this techno babble it's like he reminds me a lot of of Venkman and uh, Zedmore in um, Ghostbusters where they're hearing all of this techno babble and then immediately after they're like I, I didn't follow that at all could you please explain that to me like I am a five year old child you know and it, it, he is perfect at that type of role. And the fact that he's so likable and he does not age helps as well. <laughs> well, and with, with Ant-Man in particular, I was a little bit disappointed that they were not going to focus on Hank Pym. But then when they cast Michael Douglas as an older Hank Pym, mm-hmm. like, yeah, this makes a whole lot of sense. And I really like the way that they took the story. And given the fact that there's a history and this whole backstory with him and Michelle Pfeiffer's character, uh, as the original wasp. Um, I, I just, I really like the dynamic and I'm very curious to see where they're going to go with that. Now that we've got basically two generations of, uh, ant men and wasps. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I hope they make a lot more ant man and wasp movies, movies, because I like that movie a lot. A oh, lot of too. people me too. <laughs> didn't like that movie, but I thought it was great. I had a whole lot of fun with that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's super big, important, you know, blockbuster type. It's a it's a wonderful comedy, and that's that's really what it is. Well, and I really enjoy it as as an adventure comedy. I mean, it has a lot of ooh, it has a lot of humor that just I guess it because it reminds me of Ghostbusters so much is why I like it because they got these really cool toys that they play with and and the technology aspect of it I think is really cool because you you know you have these different giant set pieces that can only be done with that set of powers you know and it allows for action beats that you couldn't see with anybody else and it, and comedy that you wouldn't be able to see with anybody else. Like, uh, just spoilers for that particular movie. Uh, the fact that they strapped the, uh, the, um, ankle monitor on the ant, uh, the, the oversized ant and programmed it to do his daily routine, including sit in the bathroom for 25 minutes in the morning. I mean, it was, hilarious and i i really do think that those movies get a d- bum rap oh yeah well, those and, movies are great and man and the wasp was the perfect antidote for infinity war yeah because when you left that theater i mean it was like a gut punch and we needed something that was light that was fun that wasn't you know the entire universe was hanging in the balance on this and, and that's one reason why i like both the ant-man movies was because they were small and personal yeah. You know, I really wish that Marvel would do more of those because it, it just you, you can connect to the characters more. And, you know, and it's like, OK, they have this one conflict that they have to overcome as opposed to I've got to save the planet or I've got to save the universe or I've got, you know, it, it's not on that grand scale. And I, I think it actually makes the suspense a little bit bigger when when. Yeah. Things are scaled down a little bit more. Uh, just, no pun intended. Heist movies is what they were. <laughs> regular old little like heist movies, and yeah. that's mm-hmm. 
that's what Marvel is really good at. You know, they'll take a genre of film and make a movie about it, but it just so happens to have superheroes in it. Like right. you look at Captain America Winter Soldier. I mean, it's a spy thriller. Mm-hmm. It, it just so happens to have superheroes in it. And, you know, Ant, the first Ant-Man movie was a heist movie, but it just so happened to have all this fantastical technology in it. And that's what Marvel's really good at. And, you know, I don't want to get into a debate of Marvel versus DC, but that's kind of where DC has gone wrong this whole time is they're they're making superhero movies, you know, dark brooding superhero movies. And Marvel is making genre films, basically. Well, Shazam, I think, worked really well. Just jumping the ship to DC for a moment, um, because it felt a lot like. Yes. The Ant-Man movies where it was small scale, very personal and it didn't have these huge stakes like Man of Steel or Justice League where, okay, you know, we're, we're trying to save the entire planet type of thing. It's yeah. just here's this one conflict and the characters are having difficulty dealing with that one conflict. And, and you spend a lot of time with the characters. You know, I, I've said Shazam was a really good Marvel movie. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, <laughs> it had that same kind of feel and – and it was successful, in my opinion, as a movie, because it kind of took the Marvel formula, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, I, you know, another person that I think was a great casting, I mean, a person who was born to play the role was uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Stephen Strange. Yes, yes. I mean, had that, I've seen Doctor Strange probably seven, eight times at this point, and it's still <laughs> just as good as the first time I saw it. I mean, that movie is... Damn near a perfect superhero movie. Well, we just need to fit in one more Sherlock Holmes somewhere. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but uh, well, Ian McKellen is already uh, in the Marvel universe, uh, uh, technically as uh, as uh, Magneto. But yeah, no, but no, it's no, not no, the no, same no, universe, no. though. Yeah, he's not in the MCU, sir. Yeah, <laughs> they can find a spot for him somewhere. But I, I think kind of backtracking to Ant-Man a little bit. I think Ant-Man came along that along with Guardians of the Galaxy came along like right at the right time where Marvel needed a little bit of a style shakeup, I think, because you, you know, you had Captain America which if you took all the superhero aspect out of it would be a very solid, you know, spy espionage type film. Yeah. And then you had, you know, the Avengers had come out a couple of years before that. But then you had Guardians and Ant-Man that added that kind of a, a fun, more humorous take on it, which I think is good. And some, in, in, in some of the movies, I think it's been a little overdone, which I'm sure we'll get to Captain Marvel in a second. But yeah. um, I, the movie that surprised me the most was Guardians because I had read the comic and I thought it was, quite frankly, really stupid. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, you want to talk about taking a gamble. Yes. Like, who would have thought in a million years that one of arguably the most probably silliest and most forgotten about Marvel comic could have been a- as big of a movie as it was? Well, Guardians, I felt like, would have fit in like right in the year of 1985. Yeah. <laughs> and from that moment when... Star-Lord puts on his headphones and he starts playing Come and Get Your Love and starts dancing through that cavern to it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have fun with this. And 
Guardians 1 and 2 are both in my top 5 as far as my favorite movies in the entire MCU. Because they're just like Ant-Man and the Wasp. I actually like the second Guardians better than the first one. I I do too, actually, because the stakes seem so much more. uh, I mean, it's that personal level to it that Mm -hmm. it's like the reveal at the end. um, I don't know. Are we worried about spoilers? (laughs) Nah, nah, not at this point. (laughs) So, so the reveal. I would reveal at the end when they find out that you know. Not ego, uh, which is, has been um, revealed as uh, uh, Quill's father gave his mother cancer yeah. and killed her. And the moment he finds that out, it's like, oh, that's I, you need to kill that man. <laughs> you know? Dude, Kurt Russell as ego. I mean, Kurt. I watched Kurt Russell eat oatmeal for two hours and yeah. then they put a guardians, you know, a Marvel movie. I'm, Oh my God, that was great. And it subverts my expectations too, because you know, the, in the giant battle act at the end of it, I mean, not only do we get this crushing emotional crescendo with him and Yondu, um, you know, having these wonderful moments together, but it's also broken up by the humor that we come to expect from the series as he turns into a giant Pac-Man, you know, it's, (laughs) it's a wonderful movie. I love it so much. Well, and I had no idea how they were going to handle the whole aspect of ego being a planet. Yeah. You know, and you know, cause I mean, that's, that's out of the comic books and when they said, oh, yeah, we're casting Kurt Russell. And of course, when the first trailers came out, it was like, oh, okay, so they're going a different route with this. They're not actually going to make up a planet because that's kind of silly. And yet they did. And it works. Yeah. And it, it I was... mean, James Gunn is a genius as far as being able to figure out how to do that and make it personal and make it make it resonate. I mean, he was he was like, you know what? Let's ease everybody into this. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time that they reveal that he is a planet, it's like, okay, I'm on board. It's weird, but I'm on board. Well, but they, they did it in a natural way that, okay, he's a celestial, and he grew the planet over the, you know, the eons that he was you know, learning and growing himself. Mm-hmm. And it's like he created that planet as his physical being, but he could still project himself and create you know, a, a human form. Yeah, and, so, and that's... And it's interesting because uh, there is um, to to make it easier for people to follow. Uh, James Gunn did use the human form of ego in all of the little um, uh, shadow boxes that that he shows right. off. You know, uh, but he he has said that you know in each individual circumstance he was taking the form of whatever that alien being was. Right. So it, the fact that he, he thinks about things, James Gunn does, thinks about things in a way that's like, okay, this is a weird concept. How am I going to get people to follow me here? And he just does it. And it's very impressive to me. Well, I think he's the perfect fit for that franchise too. Yeah, yeah, and controversy aside, I'm glad that he's coming back for the third one. The same. Yep, as he should. 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure Dave Batista is too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he he was not shy about making his opinion known about that. No, he was not. Uh, but um, have there been any movies from the MCU that did not live up to your expectations? There's some that you think might be some of the the weaker in in the franchise because you know, to me there there are some that there there's not really a bad movie I think mm-hmm. in the entire lineup but there have been a couple where I was like you know what I kind of expected a little bit more yeah I mean there's there's those that I just won't see again you know it, it's not it's like I'm glad I had the experience but I'm just never going to go back to it like Thor the Dark World. I was going to say that same thing, that and uh, Age of Ultron. Like, I haven't seen Age of Ultron since the theater. I just, I, that was a very weak movie. Yeah. I I think Age of Ultron needs to be, you know, if if you're going back and watching, you know, like the the top hits, if you will, it's a very critical um, movie in the storyline, in the overall story. Um, But I think it suffered because, that was really when Marvel was putting their thumb down and saying, okay, we're, you as a director, as a filmmaker, you're going to do it my way. And after Joss Whedon <clears throat> hit a home run with the first Avengers film, you would think that, okay, here, you know how to do this. You, you have it under control. Go mm-hmm. do it. But they were interfering and just basically saying, no, you know, this is what we want. And where Leading up to that, you know, it was still kind of anything goes to some degree. I'm not saying that they, that Marvel didn't control the direction of it, but if you look at like Captain America: The First Avengers, or the First Avenger, excuse me, they that film really felt like something different. You know that you you had a completely different art direction to it, a different cinematic style. Of course, it was set you know in a different time period, but it almost felt like I mean that was a really felt like a true comic book movie as opposed to a movie set in the real world that happens to feature a comic book character. Yeah. And, and even Thor, you know, the first Thor movie, Kenneth Branagh, you don't hire someone like Kenneth Branagh to tell him what to do. (laughs) No. Um, and it's interesting to me that the one, you know, Kenneth Branagh has made a career of adapting Shakespeare to film. And you can see that in the first Thor movie in that, and I don't mean this as a slight on it in any way, but it feels more like a stage production than it does an epic film. And I think that's because everything just feels like a set to me in that movie. Well, I I think that he was trying to bring this operatic, you know, Shakespearean type of uh, feel to it, which I think it needs. Exactly. Which you know, is what it, it needed. It. I'm not like like I said. I'm not trying to say say it as a bad thing. It's just different. Well, um, I don't know if Kenneth Branagh actually knew what to do with the sequences on Earth, um, yeah. which is why we had a lot of Dutch angles for no reason. <laughs> just, yeah. Well, let's make the, can, the the camera canted for some reason here. Um, but the the scenes that you know we're back on, on thor's planet uh i i think felt like a kenneth branagh film oh they regard. absolutely did um but yeah it, it definitely was a little bit more stilted than um you know some of the other films and, the uh, that, and, and is, actually that was one of my least favorite films was, was the, the first thor yeah. yeah i mean the first two thors really were, weren't 
amazing. Yeah. I mean, all of them have great moments. Every, even the movies I don't like have great moments in it. But uh, and, and by not like, I mean like they're they're the ones I won't see again. <laughs> you know, it's it's not that I didn't want to see them. Why do you guys suppose that some directors uh, like Joss Whedon and uh, Kenneth Branagh, you know, didn't stick around or or got messed with and couldn't really handle, you know, like things started to fall apart when things were getting messed with, like like you know, Age of Ultron. But then you have directors like the Russo brothers who come in and do, you know, Captain America, Winter Soldier, and then they're given, you know, the Infinity War and stuff like that, and they just kind of are given the reins to run with it. Is do you think it's because they stick within the designated storyline, or I think they're company or, men? They, I mean, yeah, see that. I mean, they they got their start in television. Yeah. And so they're used yeah. to working in that exact environment where you have the creative forces outside of the directing and they say this is what the you know what the film is what the sh- the story is what the show is and they take it and run with it and make it their own. Um and I'm going to say something a little controversial here. I don't think that they're great directors. I mean they're they're okay, they're solid, but I don't think that they have a real good um visual um narrative visual style of their own i think it's just they're solid directors and they work well with the company Uh, yeah yeah, i I was gonna say something similar to that but i also want to bring up the fact that there there are two of them yeah um which i don't know how that works but (laughs) yeah and yeah exactly but um, and and aside from that, each of the other individual directors are more like you know with Brana, he's more of an independent filmmaker. Yeah. So this might not have been a good experience for him. Although he did do a cameo in um, Avengers: Infinity War, um, but when you go back and you look at um, like. Joe Dante was the director of uh, the first uh, Avenger. Oh, Joe Johnston. I'm I'm sorry, uh, Joe Johnston. I'm oh, I wish that they would hire Joe Dante to do a so, film. So 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 this is Gremlins three is in the MCU <laughs> confirmed. No, uh, Joe Johnson, who also directed one of my favorite superhero movies, nobody ever talks about the Rocketeer. Rocketeer. <laughs> and, and if you look at those two movies side by side, you can tell. Yeah. And I think the reason why he would never come back is because that style is so of that time period. Yeah. You know, it, it works better as a historical piece than it would for something more modern like we're going with now. Because right now I can't think of – I mean everything that's going to come forward is going to be today, like in today time, <laughs> you know. But but you also have to look at we're about to have another group of directors making these movies. We have to because a lot of these characters are going away. Yeah. And we're we're getting new characters. Like we can have new Fantastic Four, we can have new X-Men, we can have um all of these things. Uh, and plus, there's thousands of characters they haven't even touched upon yet. Like, there's Moon Knight that hasn't been touched upon. Uh, from what I understand, they're going to reboot uh, 
uh, Daredevil uh, to be in the MCU. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot that's on, coming. So I think it's just that these directors aren't sticking around because there's just no room for them because they're moving forward. They're not looking back, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had Peyton Reed who did the two Atman movies. Yes. Uh, Ryan Coogler is coming back for for the second uh, Black Panther movie. And, you know, so you had, I think they kind of realized, hey, this guy did a good job with this. He he hit a home run or at least, you know, a solid double. And so we're going to stick with him for that particular branch of the series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because he, he understands that particular formula. I think Scott Derrickson may be connected to uh, come back to for a future Doctor Strange movie, if, if, if that's even a thing yet. Uh, it seems uh, like it, I'm hearing that. It is. He, in fact, his house burned down and he grabbed the eye of um, ooh, the eye of Agamotto, I think it's oh, called. Oh, really? Because uh, it was in his home that was burning down, and he grabbed wow. it on the way out, so so they can use it in the next movie. So yeah, but it makes complete sense. And of course, the Russos, you know, did the two Captain America movies, and then now Infinity Wars and, and Endgame. Mm-hmm. So, which I mean, granted, Civil War might as well have been an Avengers film instead of just yeah. you know Captain America. Yeah. It was Avengers <laughs> two point five. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's loading the next one. So, th- so they, you know, even though I criticize them, they still they're good at managing multiple characters and having different storylines going on simultaneously. So they can juggle all that and have have a very clean narrative where everything makes sense in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's I think why they keep on coming back. I mean, the. You know, to your point, Peyton Reed is coming back, and so is Ryan Coogler. And then the reason why is because they know what they're doing for what the movies are, what what those films are going to be. So it, it's John not Watts like, returned for for the next Spider Man film, exactly, which I'm excited about because I really like what they did with Homecoming. It, yeah. It's another one of those, uh, you know, personal stakes movies that I really like. Yeah, and mentioning Spider-Man, <clears throat> that was something that was kind of a, a surprise when, you know, the the art. I remember when the article came out and it said that Spider-Man or Marvel Studios had gotten the rights from Sony to use Spider-Man yeah. in the MCU movies, which was a huge deal because Spider-Man was my personal favorite character. You know, I grew up reading the comic books, watching the animated series, anything with Spider-Man. You know, I, I had to I had to get my hands on and. I think that was, if I remember correctly, Kevin Feige did an interview saying that the only thing from the original vision that has changed was they had two outcomes. One, where they were able to get Spider-Man, and then the other was if they did not. And thankfully they did because, you know, seeing, to me, the highlights from Civil War were the debuts of both Spider-Man and Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I was so happy when they announced that they were getting the rights to to Spider-Man because I was not a fan of the Amazing Spider-Man uh, pair of movies. Just I felt that those were completely unnecessary. Yeah. And just it's like why? Yeah. I I love the, the the Sam Raimi films for the most part. Um, and I was just very disappointed that they decided to reboot it that quickly and just you know 
trash what Sam Raimi had developed. And so I, did, I didn't mind them throwing that out the window. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are people like somebody actually posted on Facebook not long ago. Why? Why did everybody hate the um, Amazing Spider-Man too? It's pretty good, and I oh. I wrote <laughs> a thousand-word diatribe <laughs> about how he was wrong and gave examples. <laughs> would be a good idea because uh, Toby Maguire has expressed interest in in uh, another you know, comic book movie role. And do you uh, think he would be a good choice because he's pretty much age appropriate at this point to maybe be like a Norman Osborn or something like that? I don't know if, I don't know if I'd want to see him back in a Spider-Man universe. I would like to see him as part of the MCU though. I think it would be cool to, to have him somewhere and maybe, maybe do a villain. You know, that, that could be cool, but I think it would be just, I don't know. I, I get a little bit annoyed when um, they play fan service like that, that, you know, which, which the um, Arrowverse on TV uh, does fairly effectively. But it's like, oh, were you ever in a DC movie? Then we're going to put you in our TV series. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I would rather not have him in there because I think it just it would be too distracting. If he yeah. was in a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, in a Spider-Man anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just make him anything else. <laughs> it's fine. Well, um, I mean, just the fact that they brought Michael Keaton in as the Vulture. Oh, and he was so good. Yeah, I loved movie. it. And it's like, well, you know, he's Batman. But in this, I mean, he just, he nailed that role. And, you know, I think it was very fitting that, you know, he goes from Batman to Birdman to Vulture. But <laughs> <laughs> The natural evolution. But, yeah, natural evolution there. But it just it besides the obvious, you know, it it just felt like it was the right call for him to play a villain like that. And yeah. so same thing, if they brought Toby Maguire in, maybe have him play a villain and uh see see what he can do. No, I I completely agree with that. And now we're all wondering, you know, who who would he be? Maybe we'll find out eventually. Oh, that's what I've been thinking about this whole time. I was like, damn, who could he be? <laughs> he could play Modoc. <laughs> no, Patton Oswalt's already Modoc. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought Peter Dinklage would have made a good Modoc, but he. Oh, Peter Dinklage already is, is, the, uh, is the guy at the forge. Yeah. So he, he played a different character. So I guess yeah. moving, moving on to Infinity War came out last year Thanos was teased in the first Avengers film we just saw you know that one over the shoulder shot of him at the very end during I think it was the mid credit scene and it, he was just slowly being built up as this you know unstoppable force that's on its way and I can't remember what film it was where he actually gets the gauntlet and says I'll do it myself and then you find out you know that Infinity War Thanos is going to be the villain and to me I thought he was Infinity War was in a way his story and it was kind of interesting and unique to see the the viewpoint almost from the villain's perspective. Oh, I definitely feel like he was the protagonist of of that movie. Yeah. I mean, he was the one who owned the the problem. It was his story. You know, he he his goal was to get all the infinity stones and 
do the snap <laughs> and he reached his goal and all the Avengers and all the supporting characters were his antagonists. They were trying to stop him from reaching his goal and they failed. Well, and that to me is what makes one of the top things that makes a good villain. And I feel like I don't see it enough in films is that the villain has to believe 100% that he is not the villain, that he is doing something right that will benefit not just himself, but you know, everyone. And in his his mindset was, I'm going to wipe out half the life in the universe because of resources. And you kind of sympathize with him, too, you know? Yeah. When it shows... you talk to some people. Yeah, and it shows that, you know, when he he killed Gamora to get the Soul Stone, it just showed that this guy will do whatever he has to do to reach his goal. And that was one of the more powerful scenes in that entire film. When you found out what he had to do to get the stone, you're like, oh, crap, this is why he's kidnapped Gamora. Yeah. And then he pushes her off the ledge, and you're just... The whole movie felt like one continuous gut punch after another. Like, even the scene you know, during the final battle when Thanos stabs Tony Stark, you could I could hear gasps from everyone in the theater when that happened because everybody thought, oh crap, this is where he's going to die. Yeah. It, it was just, it was a very cool, not just, it was a great film and I loved it, but it was also a very good movie experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I compare it to, you know, the the Star Wars films that I've seen in theaters. It's It's like an event rather than just watching a movie because you almost in a way feed off of the audience reactions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I remember walking out right after the movie was over and there's this group of giddy, excited people with their popcorn and their soda just waiting for for us to get out so they can come in. (laughs) And one of them asks on our way out, we look like we are leaving a funeral. (laughs) And (laughs) and, how is it? You'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my theater experience with that was uh, it cut to the credits and everybody just sat there. I'm like, what? (laughs) It was just like, it it wasn't quite as bad as Schindler's List, but it had that (laughs) kind of that same tone (laughs) in the audience. It was definitely one of the, the, the only Marvel movies that, when we left the theater, we weren't talking. Right, right. You know, like nobody really knew what to say to one another. And it was kind of a quiet car ride home. <laughs> like, what did we just see, you know? Yeah. I, I sat in the in the parking lot for like 30 minutes trying to get okay so I could drive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like, and, and, you know, I texted my... Uh, I texted my girlfriend. I was like, you know, uh, uh, I'm about to go home, but I'm gonna uh, uh, if I don't answer within if 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 I don't text you in 15 minutes, please uh, try to get a hold of me. And she's like, "What's wrong? <laughs> I can't tell you." <laughs> well, I remember Jason. You texted me after you saw it, and you said that you could hear a pin drop in the theater and it was it was the exact same with me it was 
And something I wish they would have done, and I understood why they did it, I would not have shown any post-credit scenes after that movie. I would have just left yeah. it at the credits, yeah. and then you just leave. But, I, I mean, I understand why they had to do the whole thing with setting up Captain Marvel and whatnot to then ultimately lead to Endgame. But I just but felt that, like that you ended on... A- Oh, go ahead. It's such a brilliant end, uh, end credit scene. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> Just the fact that, oh, good, there's a ray of hope. And then like, oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> All right, never mind. Let's. <laughs> uh, but I guess moving on to, you know, it recently came out. I know, Wally, you just saw it. Uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, what, what did you guys think of Captain Marvel? It was alright. You know, uh, it's funny. Um, I I see Captain Marvel, especially uh, Sergeant Fury's character in that movie, like because there was a joke that was set up in the Winter Soldier where um, Sergeant Fury uh, tells Captain America, "said the last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye." And now we get to see how he lost the eye and <laughs> who did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the thing that I, I took away from that movie is that Ben Mendelsohn is one of my favorite actors. Yeah. <laughs> he just really is. He, everything I've seen him in, he's just so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, he has his own accent for most of the movie and you know i hardly ever get to hear him actually speak the way he naturally would and it it, with only uh a certain part where they're guiding um where uh he called he called the men um i'm trying to be kind of since it's still in the theater (laughs) um they um he where he was pretending to be uh, Fury's boss, and you know he's trying to do that American accent there, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. But otherwise, I, I just really enjoy his work in every movie I ever see him in, and I want to see him more in the future. You know, I, I like Captain Marvel a lot. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's not a perfect film, and I think that some of the choices that they made storytelling um, hindered it. You know, like we we were talking about the humor that they've kind of included in so many other films. I think in this case, them making it, even though it was, I don't know, on one respect, it was a small personal film, but on the other, it still had kind of a global or uh, universal kind of, uh, you know, conflict going on. Yeah. Um, But it, I think the humor um, detracted from the story. I think if they had made it a little bit more serious and tried to make it more character driven with, you know, more heartfelt, I think it would have worked better. Yeah. You know, the best things from the movie are the personal moments between, Mm -hmm. um, you know, her and her best friend and her best friend's daughter. Um, which, uh, those names are familiar, aren't they? Actually, yeah. <laughs> okay, I was making sure. Um, my only problem with the movie, I enjoyed Captain Marvel, but it, it, the, the tempo of the movie felt off to me. Like the, yeah, it was a bit slow it, in the beginning. 
Yeah, it, it just kind of felt like rush, uh, slow down, rush, slow down. It just yeah. it kind of had a weird pace to it. And I think it could have benefited for maybe another another set of eyes in the editing room. Well, I don't even think it's the editing. I think the writing was kind of uneven on it. it, it yeah. You're right. It was rush, slow down, rush, slow down. And I understand you need the action set pieces, but at the same time, it just seems like generally there is a natural progression to those where it's escalating, where in this, it seems like it started really big and then just kind of dipped down yeah. and, and then, and then went right back up. But it just, it was, it was weird and uneven in that way because like the middle set piece where, which I guess is them being chased in, in the uh, hangar, is just so out of sync with the rest of the movie. Yeah. It, it just, it was distracting. I, I enjoyed it. I'm not saying that I didn't, and I really like the characters. The characters I really enjoyed. It's what they had to work with that I kind of didn't. It just well, seemed uneven. I think that... Um... I give them credit for trying to do something other than just a standard origin story, because if they had done her origin story and started, okay, well, here's who she is on earth. And, you know, as a fighter pilot and build up to the big moment where she gets her powers and then her having to learn how to deal with the power. We've seen that so often, just like black Panther, he was introduced in um, civil war and we didn't need to go through that whole setup. You know, yeah. it was just kind of summarized in his own movie. And then the same thing with Spider-Man. You know, they, they knew that the audience have seen his origin twice. We can just reference it. You know, we don't need yeah. to, to go through that all over again. So I think they were trying to do the same thing with this that, okay, let's just forego the origin story. The whole point of the movie is a mystery as to what her origin story was. And in some respect, it's almost like the first the Tim Burton Batman movie where here's Batman already in existence. And we, the audience, kind of learn as we go through Vicki Vale's eyes, this mystery of who is he and how did this, you know, how did he come to be? Yeah. But in this case, it was Carol Danvers that was trying to remember and try to figure out who she is. Unfortunately, and I was reading about this actually in an article today, she begins the movie as a fully developed character. And so the only character arc she really goes through is her knowing who she is. Yeah. She doesn't doesn't actually change as a person. And I think that it really, again, kind of like the humor in it, I think it did the movie a disservice by having that structure as opposed to letting her build up, you know, I mean, really, you know, just some of the powers that she got um, at the end was, was the other change that she has, but there wasn't a change to her as a, as a person. Yeah. And I think that is fundamentally what, what felt off about the movie for me, because, you know, I, I I had seen Shazam uh, just last week and it absolutely has, a, a a character arc. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it, it starts <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, multiple characters have arcs and I, I didn't see that with anybody except for maybe fury. Um, because he starts at, you know, 
this is ridiculous to, but then again, he, he, he kind of gets to that point pretty fairly quickly, pretty quickly where, where he's like, okay, there's crazy stuff going on. So yeah, it's, he's, he's just a younger version of the same character that we, we know already. I mean, if you want anything, yeah. I mean, which by the way, I loved all of his scenes. I mean, I think that yeah. he was the highlight of the movie. Um, but it's basically, we can see a character arc from that movie to the other movies, as opposed to an internal, um, arc within that movie itself. Yeah. Right. I mean, he, he went from being the whole, you know, how do I put this? The, the sketch he went from the, uh, Scully to the molder really quickly. And, right, then, right. <laughs> and then he becomes, you know, this is how he became this badass. You know, now now he knows what's up. He needs to get ready for it. Well, and I heard a lot of people um, criticize Brie Larson's performance, and I really don't think it was her performance so no. much as um, that she wasn't given the material to really sink her teeth into and grow as a character. I think if they had given her a better script, um, she would have come off, you know, as a better actor in the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, because well, I liked her. I, I'm really would like to see what she does in Endgame, as far as you know how how the character is uh, portrayed in that point in that film. You know, it felt more like the the Marvel Netflix series than one of their movies to me, hmm. Be- because you know in the Netflix series they pretty much stay the same throughout the entire season <laughs> until maybe yeah. the last episode. So I, it felt a lot more like a like a couple out a couple episodes of television than it did a movie to yeah. me. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree with that. I'm as far as my thoughts go, I I agree about the pacing of the film. I thought it was a little slow in the beginning, and it would kind of be quicker. Then it would slow back down. Then it would pick back up, and then slow back down. Um, I thought they were and. As someone who grew up in the 90s, I did like the 90s references, but I thought they made it a little too, like, they definitely let you know that this took place in the 90s from what she was wearing to the music they were playing. I thought it was borderline overkill, but it was still, those parts I I did enjoy, like her crashing through the blockbuster, even though it was already spoiled in the trailer, I thought was pretty funny and whatnot, but... Overall, it, it was it was a good film, but I I'd put it probably right around the middle, as far as if I were to rank all the MCU movies, I'd put it right around the middle. I think. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a uh, as someone else uh, pointed out, it's it's a good solid mid tier Marvel movie. You yeah. know, it's it's funny you talk about the blockbuster. I, I was looking at the sign signage. And it said uh, five ninety nine for five nights, and I'm thinking to myself, no wonder they went out of business. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. So before we get to what we think will happen in Endgame, I posted this on Facebook a little while ago. If anyone had any questions for us, uh, we got one from Mr. Tyler Watson, who Jason and I know very well. Uh, he's uh, one of our diehard fans over at the Nerd Cave Retro Show. Do you think the true Mandarin, as referenced in the Long Live the King short, will ever make an appearance? Or is he even needed at all at this point? Same for the leader from the end of The Incredible Hulk. I think those are threads that um, they've dropped. 
I, I don't think that uh, we'll see either one of those. Um, and honestly, I don't know if anybody's clamoring, you know, to see it because neither of those movies were really that strong in the MCU. And mm-hmm. even though I personally wish that they would do something, I think that, that fans overall would be happy if the Mandarin came back and, you know, like, oh, here's the real Mandarin. I don't think that the storyline is going in that direction. I think the MCU is just kind of like, yeah, we just, you know, we're not going to go that way. We're just not only that, forget about Mandarin, it. Mandarin's kind of racist. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I've, yeah, it's a problematic situation because, yes, the Mandarin's a huge character, but at the same time, no. <laughs> but, uh, and it, yeah I mean it is a thread that seems to have been just completely abandoned along with the leader I mean we don't really need they, hell they haven't mentioned Blomsky in quite some time uh, in like four movies so we know that the abomination is out there but I don't I doubt we'll ever see him again yeah, they seem to not really reference that movie all that much, except for when they brought back, you know, General Ross for, uh, what was it, Civil War? Yeah. Yeah, well, he was in uh, Infinity War, too. Oh, yeah, you're right. He was, yeah. Yeah. Forgot for like about a that. half a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess we'll move on to Avengers Endgame. We've all heard the fan theories there's so much speculation going on as to what's going to happen. So I want to ask you guys, whoever wants to go first can, what do you think is going to happen? I think the uh, rest of everybody is going to get killed off at the end and then that'll be the end of the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. I'm betting that uh, Ca- uh, Captain America and Iron Man both um, make the ultimate sacrifice because we both we know that both of them are not coming back. They're done. So what better way to send send off Captain America and Iron Man by having them die for all of humanity or basically all of the universe, you know, making the ultimate sacrifice. And um, I don't know. That's kind of my theory on that. I think they're going to do one or the other, probably Captain America, because, you know, there there's we got a couple people waiting in the wings that possibly could take over the Captain America shield. Um yeah. I have a feeling that Iron Man will still, you know, that Tony Stark will will still be around in one form or another. Um, he may not be Iron Man anymore, but um, I don't know. I mean, I might be wrong, but which I probably will be. But um, I don't know if they would kill off uh, two of the main characters like that in this film. They didn't seem to have a problem with it in the last movie. <laughs> yeah, but most, I mean, I, I think that a couple of those characters may actually be dead, the ones that were killed before the snap, but we all knew that they're not going to be dead for real. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a comic book movie. Plus we know that several of them are going to be in their own movies, you know, in the sequels again. So we know that they're going to be rescued it still didn't take away from that gut punch from the end of, uh, of infinity war, but this one will be the fun of seeing how they get back together again and how they, how they re you know, resurrect everybody. Um, but, uh, you know, I, am very curious about Gamora 
and Loki. You know, whether those two characters are going to remain dead or, you know, how they're going to be resurrected if, if they are. And that's, you know, one of the things that I'm wondering, because, you know, Loki is getting his own TV series. Yeah, but is it a prequel? You know, we don't know when in the timeline it is. It, and and the same can be said for uh Scarlet Witch and the Vision because they have their own TV series coming. Yep. So, so that could wonder, fill in that gap when we saw them. Oh, there are a couple now. How about yeah. okay. <laughs> that? The title of the series is WandaVision, by the way. <laughs> no. That's not even a joke. <laughs> but yeah, I, you kind of wonder is this going to be a couple of prequels or, or is this just a prelude to bringing those characters back? Well, I hope if it is sort of a prequel to, uh, you know, it takes place between Age of Ultron and and Infinity War, we can finally figure out how she lost her accent. Well, <laughs> those just go away with time. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, look at Storm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lord. Um, one of the things that, that um, this is, okay, so... Characters that died in the last movie coming back, that's a given. That's 100%. At least half of them are coming back. Um, some of the ones that didn't die in the last one's going to die in this one. That's almost assured. But I'm going to throw out this very unlikely scenario. Uh -huh. And I very much hope that it's accurate because for the last <laughs> year and a half, they have had the rights to Fantastic Four. Yeah. And I want to see Reed Richards. <laughs> yeah, but I doubt that's going to happen. Yeah, and we didn't know Palpatine was in Star Wars until we heard him laughing. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Something that I would like to see happen, and it's a little out there, but I think it would be a cool tie-in to the actual comic books. Either Captain America or Iron Man is is going to die. I think that's pretty much a given. I think it's going to be Captain America. I think Nick Fury is going to die as well. Again. Again. This, <laughs> this time for real. real this time. Yeah, this time for real. <laughs> Tony Stark takes over as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. and retires as Iron Man. Then Black Panther's younger sister takes over as Iron Man. Oh, that'd be awesome. You think so? Really? And then I've actually thought about that before. That would actually be really cool if that happened. She's smart enough mm -hmm. to take over the the tech. Yeah. But would she actually well hmm. that would be interesting. Mm. It's a little out there, but I think it would actually be really cool. And then you know I was just trying to think of if that stays consistent with her character, but I guess it would. Mm-hmm. Because she's kind of a scrapper, you know? Yeah. So who do you think would make a better Captain America to take over the shield? Do you think uh, it'll be Bucky, or do you think it'll be uh, Falcon? I'd like it to be the Falcon. I would, too, but it, it would probably be Bucky. Yeah. Even though I don't like him. I don't I don't either. <laughs> I like Bucky. Um, You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Bucky is killed in this one, too. Yeah, I mean, that would kind of, because both those their stories, his and Steve Rogers, their stories began together. It yeah. would have kind of a, 
nice poetry if they ended together also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and then that would leave Falcon to, you know, take over <clears throat> as Captain America. Yeah. And I think the new generation of Avengers will be Spider-Man, the Falcon as Captain America. Um, Black Panther's sister as the new Iron Man, Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. Ant Man. I think Thor will go off and do whatever Thor does. Um, <laughs> Hulk will be around, but I don't think we'll see Hulk all that much. Yeah, he, Thor I, doesn't even have a planet to uh, to go back to. Anymore. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. I, I I'm very curious as to what the Hulk's story will be after this because he hasn't had his own movie in a long time and he won't because universal actually owns the rights to standalone hulk movies yeah they have to be able to distribute them that is why i think the next film with the hulk in it's going to be called she hulk Ah. yeah yeah now that would be Black Panther's sister. No. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. So yeah, I think it will ultimately it'll set up the the new generation of Avengers, is yeah. what it'll be. Yeah. So I, I think I'm curious to see where the films go from here because when you take away the characters like Captain America, Iron Man. Thor, all the ones that started this whole thing, when they're not around anymore, will it still be as sustainable? Um, yes, I think it will be because they've been very successful in the, if you want to say, the second batch of characters, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Black Panther, uh, Doctor Strange, you know, the, and, and of course now with Spider-Man being in there, assuming Sony doesn't, you know, take the rights back again, um, I think that that's a really strong lineup and you don't need the original uh, team. Yeah. And, and even so much as far as, you know, like the, the second tier um, Avengers, if you will, like vision and Scarlet, Witch. Um, yeah, I mean, Hawkeye is going to be transitioning into uh, whatever that other character's name is. I can't Ronan. think right now. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of, uh, Lee Pace's character, Ronan. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but, um, you know, I, whether or not they keep him around, you know, any, any more uh, remains to be seen. But they can phase out those characters just fine. Yeah. And, you know, the because, I mean, let's face it, the Avengers movies are only made when there's a big, you know, really really important thing that happens on a global or or galactic scale and you know so they can do another five six you know movies and maybe introduce a few other characters that we haven't thought of and and then incorporate them into into the avengers um but i know that uh, marvel has kind of hinted at secret wars as being like possibly the next wave of uh you know where they're going next. So Good. then we can forget about that shitty Venom movie and actually get a proper Venom movie. Yeah, right. We're not going to get Venom because of uh, the rights with Sony. They're not going to give that up. It made yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it, it did make a lot of money, and that sucks. Um, I, I kind of wanted it to fail so they would be forced to give it to Marvel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I hate thinking of that too, but yeah. 
But I do yeah. kind of agree with Steve uh, on the point of, you know, like the, so much of the beginning of the MCU rested squarely on Robert Downey Jr.'s shoulders to kind of anchor everything and move everything forward that I think there's been enough, uh, you know, the entire cinematic universe is strong enough at this point and has enough legs that it can carry on pretty much on autopilot at this point without having to have that one person kind of carry everything, you know? Well, and not only that, but there's still a whole lot of characters that they haven't even touched on. They just got all of the X-Men, um, the Fantastic Four, They've got. They, they haven't made a Nova movie. They haven't. They Adam Warlock still has to premiere in the uh, upcoming Guardians movie. Yeah. Uh, we've got Spider Woman that still is available. Shang Chi has a movie coming out. Right. Uh, Moon true. Knight uh, hasn't had a movie. Um, when are we going to get Ben Fang Foom? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you were talking about Mandarin earlier. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, but my point is there's a ton of Marvel characters that have not been used that they can use. Um, and some that they can't, like Namor, <laughs> you know. So I need to see a, uh, a giant size man thing movie. <laughs> <laughs> you, I forgot you had the sound uh, effects. Uh, wing. <laughs> well, when, that's coming out, and then uh, Union Jack. <laughs> uh, so, lot to look forward to for the for the future of Marvel. Uh, any closing thoughts you guys want to throw out before we uh, before we put a bow on this thing? I, I would like to convene uh, maybe in another month or two after everything, <laughs> after the dust settles and uh, and return so we can kind of give our thoughts on, on you know, the entire, this whole storyline as an entirety. Yeah. Yeah, and, that would be a good idea. And, you know, by that time, they more than likely will have announced what the next phase of movies are going to end up being. Yeah. And my, my, um, dream would be you know not not dream really but what i would really like to see and i know it's not going to happen because again rights issues and the way that um netflix has been handling things and whatnot but i would love to see them incorporate the characters the the defenders characters into the actual marvel cinematic universe and not reboot any of the characters but bring them in with that cast and well at least most of them, uh, you know, Finn Jones is kind of iffy in my, <laughs> for, for Iron <laughs> but, um, it's still with that, you know, it would make perfect sense that, you know, they Disney plus can't adopt those shows for another two years after the cancellation from Netflix. But I don't know if there's anything that precludes them from bringing them into the, into the movies other than, yeah their television division and their film division don't talk to each other. So, and and I think that's gotten a little less. uh, So, I mean, with the advent of Disney plus, because all of the uh, Marvel shows have a movie component to them now. Well, but all of those are being produced under the Marvel productions banner. And by as, as opposed to, um, their television division, which is completely separate. 
And all I'm saying is that we we can have a Spider-Man movie with Vincent D'Onofrio as the Kingpin. Oh my god, that would be great. Oh yes. Oh. Why don't we do that? Uh, no, the the Netflix shows are that's a whole separate discussion because uh, D'Onofrio as Kingpin was so good. Yeah, perfect cast. So on that. so good. Well, is there anything that uh, you guys would like to plug, like Monsters Anonymous or Survey, before we get out of here? Yeah, uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch Monsters Anonymous right now. Uh, if you or with your Am- free with your Amazon Prime subscription, so just go look for Monsters Anonymous on Amazon Prime. I'm going to be traveling uh, the week after Easter. I don't know when this podcast is airing, but um, but it's a couple weeks from the time that we're recording this. And up to Michigan, um, Survey is going to be playing at Motor City Nightmares. It's a, a horror con and film festival, and um, except science fiction fantasy films as well. Um, but it's in the neck of the woods of where I grew up. So, in oh. fact, the... Um, the convention's um, mailing address is in my hometown of Milford, Michigan. Uh, the convention itself is in a neighboring town of Novi, uh, which is kind of a outskirts of Detroit. But um, so this is kind of a little bit of a homecoming for me to go go home and uh, uh, be able to bring my film to uh, you know where I discovered the love of filmmaking. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Almost like a full circle story. Yeah. <laughs> My life is complete now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, oh, go ahead, Wally. No, I was just going to say uh, I, I do, uh, did say that the uh, podcast that I was working on, The Great Movie Guide, was going to be available on May 1st. That may get pushed back because everybody who I need to record with can only record on the weekends, and that is the worst time in the world to get a hold of me. Um, so, you know, uh, stay tuned, great movie guide on Facebook and we'll see what happens. And I just, I just want to say, I have heard a sample of the first episode of the great movie guide and Wally has done an excellent job. I Uh, might throw that away. Really? (laughs) I liked it. It was, uh, I mean, it there was a lot of production value in that. There was, and it took me forever and that might be why I redo it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, uh, like, what like I was saying to an episode of like I don't know, like an NPR podcast or something. Yeah, that, that's exactly. I was actually thinking of of uh, of that, but life or something like well, that. Well, I was actually thinking that it might be better in if I put all the information that I pulled out, like I like you know the 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 making of stuff, and just insert that into the conversation of the movie itself, but we'll see how that all works out. So um, it, it depends on how the conversations go. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Cool. We'll definitely look forward to that. But guys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to come back a couple of weeks after Endgame comes out and then give our thoughts on that as well. Absolutely. My thanks again to Steve, Jason, and Wally for coming on the show to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I can't wait to see Endgame in just a couple of weeks. It's going to be awesome. I'm not sure exactly when I'm going to be seeing it yet because I'll be in Panama City 
with the Unicorn Wranglers, who I plug every week. They provide the theme music for this podcast. They actually were accepted as a finalist for the San Jam uh, Music Festival that's going to be in Panama City next weekend. So I'll be with them. I'm going to be doing a lot of their media stuff. I'm also working on a documentary about them that I um, hope to release sometime during the summer or early fall. So no concrete plans as to when I will see Endgame, but I will be seeing it at some point. It's, it's definitely going to happen, but I can't wait to see it. It's going to be a, a great movie. But before we get out of here, don't forget you can check out past episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can get podcasts. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. You can also follow the Unicorn Wranglers. Their songs Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. So thank you once again to Jason, Wally, and Steve. Hope you guys enjoy Endgame in a couple of weeks, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs>